Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, my name is Brenda. This is the tale of how I came to live in this new town of mine. I arrived here by the coast in the early spring. I fell in love with the vastness of the grey sea and the brightness of the light. You see, I'd been hiding away for far too long in the shadows. Now I wanted to be out in the open air feeling that salty breeze on my cracked and ancient skin. I've been well-nigh cloistered. Out in the daylight, I was feeling positively macabre. Such a long, long life I've had, and I don't remember the half of it. When I say that, you must believe me. It's like there's some kind of fault line in my head, and many of my lifetime's memories have drained away. Sometimes I think the human brain has capacity enough for only one average lifetime. And I have had much more than that. I am very, very old, you see. But this is my new life, a quiet life beside the sea in this town of Whitby, which has protected itself well against the oncoming crassness of the ages. In the 21st century, it still feels like a Victorian holiday town with its higgledy-piggledy rooftops and stovepipes and labyrinthine streets. This pleases me, for I am, at heart, somewhere deep inside my bosom, an old-fashioned girl. This place, with its busy harbour and hulking rocky headland and gloomy ruins, suits me quite well. It is here that I have decided to sink all of my savings into a guest house bang on the harbour. Here I will live as just one more landlady in a town overrun by that fussy, capable brood, 
and no one here will ever know my secrets or anything about the many complicated lives I have left behind me. Here I will simply be Brenda, a little tall, perhaps, and heavy-set, slathered in too much makeup, covering scars that only I know about. Brenda, with her towering black beehive. As I sit writing my journal by candlelight, here in my attic sitting room, my wig sits on its stand beside me, a fluffed-up and neatly quaffed sentinel in the moonlight. I gaze past my wig through the circular attic window at the sea mist that slinks up from the harbour and at the stars above Whitby Abbey, and I think over the events during my first few days in this place. Already a great deal has gone on, despite the fact that the last thing I was looking for was any kind of mystery or adventure. I suppose you might say it all kicks off when I meet the woman from next door. The very day after I take possession of my B&B. I've only just put up the sign that says vacancies and I am anticipating a few days solid work, cleaning and stripping and painting and varnishing and buffing everything up until it's just so. The place needs a thorough going over before I can invite anyone in over the threshold to be my first paying customers. So I am bustling out of the door in my side passage on my way to buy all the necessary cleaning supplies when there comes this rather shrill call. Yoo-hoo! It goes. And I turn round to see a skinny, oldish woman with a hair in a bun and a sucked lemon face. She's done up rather smartly in a worsted two-piece clutching a shopping bag somewhat aggressively. She glares at me, asking... You're the new lady, aren't you? I have to admit that, yes, I am the new owner of this particular B&B. She stares at my sign, which says, Brenda's B&B, and seems unimpressed. Plain old bed and breakfast won't do these days, you know. You have to have an interesting gimmick, a unique selling point. You have to add value. This couple I know in Scarborough, they went in for a medieval theme. Oh, yes, I say, trying to be polite. It wasn't very nice. The hygiene in their dungeon was shocking, and that ought to be paramount, oughtn't it? I'm Effie Jacobs, by the way. I live next door to you. That's my antiques emporium. Well, I've already taken note of the dusty windows of the tatty junk shop next door. Now here's the owner, puffing it up into something far fancier than it looks from the outside. Curios and trinkets, some furniture and antique costume wear. All very select. She extends a skinny hand. I take it you're Brenda. I am. I shake her hand. She flinches at my grip. You'd be wanting someone to show you round the place, she says. Uh, not especially, say I, preparing to go. Oh, you will. Can be a funny old place, can Whitby. Hard to get the hang of. I tell her, tad brusquely, that I'm sure I will manage. Then I leave her gawping after me and I hurry in the direction of the shops. (laughs) 
So I'm setting about my cleaning regime, making my guest house spick and span. As I go about my business in these early days, however, I keep seeing Effie from next door wherever I go. I'll be carrying my shopping bags home and she'll come dashing up. I'll be supping a restorative cuppa in a little cafe and she'll come hurtling in, trying to engage me in idle conversation. And then one day we arrive at our front doors simultaneously. I am returning from the greengrocers and Effie is manhandling what is obviously a large picture in a frame through the doorway of her antiques emporium. She notices me pausing to watch and she calls out, you couldn't lend a hand, could you, Brenda? I've carried this thing across town and I'm out of puff. You've got the muscles for it more than I have. I don't say anything. I simply put my bags down beside my front door and go to help the gawky old mare. I do most of the work, getting the thing through the door and into the cavernous cluttered shop. The frame is surprisingly heavy and I wonder how she even got it this far. It's from the auction rooms across the other side of the harbour, she explains. Soon as I saw this, I knew I had to have it. Here, pop it on the floor. Marvellous, Brenda. You're as strong as an ox, aren't you, Ducky? Come on through to the kitchen and I'll make you a frothy coffee. Next thing I know, I'm on a stool beside a breakfast bar stacked with dirty crockery and littered with burned bits of toast. Effie is telling me all about her latest acquisition. You know sometimes when a piece just cries out to you and you simply have to have it. Oh, not only pictures, ornaments, gee-gaws and objet d'art of all kinds. I often hear them crying out to me and wanting me to take them home. I'm quite loath to part company and that's why this place is overstocked. It certainly is. I've never been in such a cramped and uncomfortable shop. I count myself lucky at my relatively unencumbered life. I have very few wants and hardly any clutter to hold me down. Just a few treasured mementos that I've kept down the years. Nothing like this almighty treasure trove of Effie's. I'm assuming it is treasure, mind. It might simply be a load of old tart. Next thing, Effie is passing me a mug of instant coffee with powdered milk and beckoning me to watch as she ceremonially strips the brown paper off her painting. I stand back to admire the masterpiece as she reveals it. It takes a few moments to make sense to me. And when it does, I'm not sure whether I like it at all. It's a gloomy midnight scene, all swirling purples and greens. Silhouetted in the creamy moonlight is a man atop a giant stallion. There's a scantily clad lady looking distraught and clutching his shoulders. The foreground is worse. There's a creepy-faced child in a nightgown. A single tear rolls down its cheek. A malicious-looking cat stares out from behind the child's rickety legs. All in all, the painting is, I think, a monstrosity. I wouldn't give it house room, lest it give me nightmares. However, there's no accounting for taste. Effie is beaming at this sepulchral travesty and saying to me, Oh, isn't it a marvel, Brenda? 
Now, would you mind helping me lug it upstairs to my sitting room? By the time Effie's painting is up, I'm worn ragged and regretting stopping in the street to talk to her. Every limb is shaking with overexertion, and my poor old heart is banging like Billy-o. I make my excuses and go back to my home, where my groceries are still waiting in the side passage for me. I pass the evening quietly, alone, listening to the wireless and having a glass or two of sherry. Well, here I am, and my B&B &B is almost ready for business. I have a phone line, and I'm having some little cards printed up. I've taken out a modest advert in the local paper, The Willing Spirit, and now I'm ready for the hordes to descend. I have just four rooms, all en suite, and each of them furnished plainly but immaculately. There are three further bedrooms, still unfinished and ready to convert at a later date. Already I feel like the queen of an almighty empire. I fall asleep in my sumptuous attic room, feeling very pleased with myself. Though I have rather troubled dreams concerning handsome men astride stallions. Plus I find myself haunted by that way-faced child and its raggedly looking cat. Actually, I can even hear something like a cat's plaintive mewing. A horrible racket like fraying strings on an ancient violin. I awake cursing my next-door neighbour and her painting as the source of my horrid dreams. And I lie awake, muzzily, realising that I can still hear that screechy music in the night. It is coming from above me, I'm sure. My bedroom is at the very top of my building. There isn't even storage space between me and the dark sky. Just a skylight and hundreds of slate tiles. But still, I can hear that shrill song. Now it even sounds as if it's taunting me. It is accompanied by little footfalls. I imagine velvety footpads dancing on the cold slate and lead. The occasional scratching of sharp claws. Am I going out of my mind? Next thing I know, I'm standing on the blanket box, shoving open the skylight and poking my head and shoulders out into the night. It is the very early hours, and for a moment as I perch there looking at all the rooftops, I can hear nothing at all. I'm relieved and ready to dismiss the noise as just the dregs of my dream. But then it comes again. That high, haunting noise. In that same moment, I see who is singing and tip-tapping on my rooftop. It is a cat, more or less like the one in my dream. It is padding expertly over the apex of my roof on its hind legs and gazing at me speculatively. The queerest thing of all about this cat is that it is glowing. This isn't some trick of the moonlight. The cat is glowing like it has gone radioactive. It's like a will-o'-the-wisp blinking its green eyes at me and they are like fog lamps beaming at me as it brings its song to a ghastly climax. Then it gives a nimble hop, skip and a jump and it is gone, scampering off down the drain pipes and fire escapes to who knows where. 
I clamber awkwardly back into my bedroom and shut the skylight firmly behind me. I don't want that tone-deaf beastie landing on me claws first during what remains of the night. I lie awake, mulling it over. Of course, in my long life I have had far worse supernatural visitations. This one has unnerved me, not because I'm not used to such things, but because I thought I'd seen the last of such mysterious netherworld creatures. Well, hard cheese, Brenda. Now you're being haunted by a singing cat. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The next day, and I really want to wriggle out of this, Effie announces her intention to thank me for my help with her ugly painting by taking me out to lunch. I try to tell her it's quite unnecessary, but the spiky old lady won't listen. I don't want to hurt her feelings, so I go with her to Cod Almighty, a fish and chip restaurant on the other side of the harbour in the older part of the town. Actually, I'm rather partial to battered cod. Effie is scandalised to hear I haven't yet indulged myself in one of the town's most famous specialities. She announces to all the waitresses that I am a fish supper virgin. It is all, I must admit, sizzlingly delectable. The fish itself is melting your mouth good. We follow it down with Effie's suggestion of a creme de menthe knickerbocker glory each. It's while I'm spooning up acid green ice cream that I tell her about last night's spooky visitation. Somehow I can't help letting the luminous cat out of the bag. I didn't reckon on such a dramatic reaction. A spoon clinks down on the melamine table and she stares at me. Oh, the crispy cat, gasps Effie. She's turned white as the flaky cod. You what? I ask. It's a legend in these parts, she says. A ghostly moggy that patrols the rooftops and alleyways of Whitby by night. 
Suddenly she looks horribly alarmed. Did you read about the mauling that happened last night? A mauling? An old dear who works in the wool shop, Audrey Beardsley. She was going home very late from bingo night at the Christmas hotel. She was attacked in a gloomy ginnel and was found with a mauled leg. Some beast had chewed right through her support stocking before she managed to beat him off. I assumed it was just some maniac, but now... I hold up a hand to stop her flow of chatter. What do you mean, mauled? She was chewed almost to bits last night. Don't you listen to the local news? Effie sniffily picks up her long-handled spoon. The grisliness of her tail hasn't put her off a dessert. But this cat I saw last night, it was singing and glowing. The crispy cat, she says. First time in years it's been seen. Nasty, spectral, vicious thing. But it all makes sense, you see. It's come back to plague the town. And it wasn't just a random pervert biting Audrey from the wool shop, after all. Evie pays up and asks if I'd like to take a stroll through the old town. We can go as far as the 199 steps that lead up to the church and the abbey at the top of the town, if we like in order to walk off our calorific excesses. If I feel up to it, we could have a look at the view from St Mary's Churchyard. Well, that's a vista I haven't experienced yet, and so I agree readily. Quite determined to make it up the winding stone steps, less out of puff than my shrewish companion. Soon we're at the top and both short of breath. The view of the harbour is well worth it, however. We sit on a bench between the slanting gravestones and Effie points out various landmarks such as the hotels on the Western Cliff and the location of our very own street near the harbour front. I can even see my own roof and attic skylight from which I watched that singing cat. Then Effie is saying, I couldn't tell you the full legend while we were still ensconced on our banquette. I had to get us away from Cod Almighty before I could tell you the tale of the crispy cat. Oh, yes, I say, wondering how much I could ever believe of this gossiping Beesom's stories. It's over 80 years ago, but back then there were only two fish shops in Whitby and there were deadly rivals vying for supremacy. Cod Almighty and its opposite number across the bay, Assault and Battery. Now, things escalated nastily one long hot summer. There were dirty tricks played on both sides in the war of the fish suppers. They were both owned at the time by unscrupulous ne'er-do-wells. Both, thank goodness, long gone. And what they used to do, you see, Brenda, is to try to sabotage each other's business. They'd put about evil rumours concerning the freshness of the other's supplies and their provenance. It all became rather nefarious. And now I come to the worst part of the story, says Effie. Legend has it that the owner of Cod Almighty paid some heavies to march into a Sultan battery one evening during its busiest time. They barged to the front of the takeaway queue and took a dead cat out of a bin bag. Oh, yes, I say, wondering how much I could ever believe of this gossiping besom's stories. Then they dropped it into the deep-fat fryer. 
Contaminating the oil, you see. Contaminating everything. It certainly put everyone off visiting a salt and battery ever again. Even after it closed for a week's fumigating. The place never quite recovered from this awful sabotage. And since then, God Almighty has reigned supreme over the bay. Well, what do you think of that, then? It's a horrible story, I tell her. Is it just a local legend, or is it true? Every word is true, she says proudly. And I'll tell you something else. My Aunt Maud was there in that queue, and she was put right off her supper by what she saw that night. She couldn't face anything battered for months after that, not a sausage. I tried to steer her back to the point. And what about the singing cat on my roof? She lowers her voice, though there's no one in the graveyard to hear her. Word has it that the battered, covered, glowing ghost of that poor, luckless feline is doomed to wander Whitby forever. Attacking folk and mauling them to death when it gets the chance. No one has heard it or caught sight of it or been savaged by it for years. You've been fortunate to clap eyes on the monster and get away unscathed. That night, the glowing cat appears to me again. I wake with a start just after 2am and I can hear that ululating pussy once more. I shake myself awake and reach for my wig. I don't even have to switch on my reading light. I look at the window and there's the cat. Its phosphorescent paws are pressed up against the glass. It doesn't look like it's covered in fish batter, but it does look very much like a cat who's come back from the dead. Curiously, I'm not at all scared. Even though Effie swears blind, the beast is deadly. There's a sadness about its green eyes. I'm mesmerized. Next thing I know, I'm across the room and throwing open the sash window. He hops lightly off the sill into my bedroom. He perches heavily at the end of my continental quilt. You'd better get back into bed. It's a chilly night and I've got a tale to tell. Funny that I don't balk for a moment at the way he addresses me. He has a high, quavering tone, much like his singing voice. I clamber back beneath my duvet, feeling his considerable weight on top of my shins. <laughs> Some phantom. It's a tale about how I lost my ninth life here in this very street. Harbour Street, so many years ago. We're talking about the 1930s now. And back in those days I was called Harold. I was the only male personage allowed to spend any time at all in that tall house where Effie's aunties used to live. Oh, you belong to Effie's family. Oh, witchy brood. Her wicked gaggle of female cousins. The eldest Maud with her rock-hard bosom and her twitchy fingers. And the beautiful Natasha, clever Eliza, brave Beryl and the youngest and most beguiling, Angela. Were they really witches? Well, I was their familiar. Oh, yes, I saw everything that went on behind the respectable facade of their herbalist and greengrocer's shop. I saw their rituals, 
and potion brewing and the setting of their hexes. I saw them dance naked at midnight around the ruins of the abbey. <laughs> they said they were warding off nasty spirits and the Nazis. But I reckon they were doing it for kicks. They were naughty girls. I see. Um, why are you telling me all of this, Harold? I have come back to this decrepit town because I've been sent on a mission. It's all to do with Effie, your new best friend. Oh, now she's not my best friend. I hardly know the woman, and I must confess I find her abrasive and peculiar. Maybe dangerous, too, I think, if she really does come from a line of Whitby witches. It's all this supernatural gubbins that I'm trying to avoid these days. Just remember that, Brenda. Nevertheless, I'm a long-lived and clever old cat, and I can see a little way into the future. I can see into the reasons for things, and I happen to know that you and Effie are going to be very important figures in each other's lives. Why? I would say that is destined to be. I pull a face and let this pass. Since I don't want to sit up all night with a flaming cat, I tell him to go on with his story. As I said, Angela was the youngest and most beguiling witch in that house. She had all this scarlet hair and emerald eyes. No wonder she attracted the attention of the dark demon lord when he came riding by one day across the clifftops on his stallion. Hold it, demon lord? That is how he styled himself. What can I say? He claimed very earnestly to come from the land of fairy in the far north. He was the Earl King. Goodness. He came riding up to the sisters and he cut a very impressive figure indeed. His eyes and those of his mount blazed a hungry scarlet. <laughs> and the witchy sisters were dressed in their raggiest garments, carrying panniers of herbs and wild flowers they'd spent the day gathering in the meadows above Robin Hood's Bay. They were stopped in their tracks by this demon rider and he peered into each of their faces. He decided Angela was the one he wanted. Well, just like that, like he was shopping or picking flowers and herbs for himself. So it goes for Demon Kings. He was known far and wide for simply making off with those young'uns who caught his eye. The Earl King, eh? I wonder. I have heard of this mythical figure, of course, but why on earth would he come looking for possible romantic interest in an obscure seaside town such as this? Does Harold the Luminous Cat truly expect me to believe his tale? He pauses to brush his moustache and round one ear with a languid paw. She refused him naturally. She was terrified. Her sisters took her home and shielded her inside the tall, dark house. The eldest, Maud, took charge. They barricaded their doors against the demon lord. Time went by and it was Christmas and snowy and each morning brought new gifts. 
which he laid on their doorstep. Peppermints. Lily's a music box. And fish pulled from the deepest reaches of the sea. Nasty looking fish that was soon tossed my way. I wasn't complaining. He even brought her a walking, talking, mechanical doll dressed in ermine and called Mrs. Claus. She sang Angela songs about how much the Earl King loved her. And of course, before that festive season was over, Angela found herself enchanted. Oh, isn't it always so? She succumbed to his blandishments and his fancy goods. She didn't. She did. And her sisters were absolutely wild with fury. I bet they were. This is where my story turns tragic. For me, at least. Go on. The witchy sisters defied the demon king. They stayed locked indoors with his beloved. On Boxing Day, when a snowstorm was looming over the horizon, he came thundering up to their front doorstep. He proclaimed he was going to steal their youngest sister away. He knew that she loved him as much as he did her, and their destiny lay in his faraway fairy realm. The portal to which lay somewhere north of Newcastle on a windswept Roman road. Maud and the others all stood firm. He will not take her over their dead bodies. But then, something odd. The witches held their breath. Horrified as Angela went to him pliantly, wearing an ermine cloak that had arrived as that morning's present, an exact copy of the cloak worn by the living doll. She clutched to her all the gifts he had given her, almost too many to hold. There was nothing her sisters could do as they watched Angela being swept up into the saddle with that bad man. And here comes the tragic part, Brenda. I could see my favourites of those sisters being taken away. And all I could think was that there'd be no more fishy tributes from deep beneath the sea. And so I found myself springing and hissing at crowd. I shot through the air, making a hullabaloo. Just as he was about to turn and gallop away, he fetched out his great flaming sword and he ran me through. Right there and then at the front of our house, the witches froze with shock. On that instant, I lost my ninth life. Sliding off his hot sword like melting butter, Old cobbles. The blizzard was just beginning as he spurred his stallion and they thundered away up the hill of Harbour Street and out of town. There I lay, curled up quite still and glowing slightly from his fiery blade. And this is how, all that time ago, I became a ghostly puss. He goes quiet at this point, mulling over his final demise. I'm not quite sure what to say. 
In my previous meetings with supernatural beings, I've found it best to keep mum and let them tell you things at their own pace. Otherwise, if you get peremptory, you can scare them off, or they can get the hump. At last, I ask, you said you have a mission, Harold. I do, and you can help me, Brenda. Now that you're here in Whitby, you can help me. You will, won't you? You'll do what you can to help me. Tell me first what it is you want me to do. Suddenly, he's full of energy and glowing even brighter. For a moment, I'm scared he's going to set light to my new sheets. You will know what to do when the right moment comes. I'm sure you will know exactly what to do. Good, Brenda. Clever, Brenda. Lovely, Brenda. And then he's bounding towards the window again. Wait, what about the rival fish shops and the vat of hot oil? Where does that fit into your story? For a moment he pauses. I don't know what you're talking about. But you're the crispy cat, aren't you? The feline scourge of Whitby's back alleys, mauler of old ladies. I am nothing of the sort. Who told you this? He whirls about haughtily and then he's gone. Out of the window and down the fire escape, I can hear his light scamper as it fades across the rooftops. And then I can hear a snatch of his ludicrous song. And before I return to sleep, I believe I hear his voice floating back into my attic. A new life, Brenda. I've been promised the chance to live again. As a real cat of flesh and blood and fur. If only I can succeed in this little mission of mine. I'm lying on a very hard bed. It's made out of stone, I think. The whole room is freezing. I've woken up in the middle of an operation. An operation someone is performing on me. Lightning roars, thunder crashes. Oh, the ceiling of the operating theatre is open to the elements. Rain lashes in as I lie there. There's nothing I can do. I can't pull myself together. Am I drugged? I can't feel my limbs. Her doctor, the brilliant surgeon, is leaning over me. His breath smells rank. He's drinking schnapps as he works. He mutters to himself feverishly. He sews like a champion seamstress. Black catgut, pulling the sutures taut, making soft skin pucker. He runs his dirty fingers over my fresh scars. His work is hasty and careless. He isn't making a masterpiece this time. He swears and shouts and protests. He's working under duress. In terrible conditions, ghastly lamplight, dirty implements. I wake in the middle of the operation into a world of pain and my screams are just horrible to hear. And up at the window, watching these proceedings with glee, is the hideous face of the creature. The monster is watching my birth. His awful face is full of eagerness and excitement. I twitch, I tremble, my senses are stirring. 
Oh, I awake with a screech of sheer horror. Oh, it's just that nightmare again. The recurring dream. The one I've had for 200 years. It always comes back with redoubled strength whenever I move to a new place. It's as if it's telling me you can't simply start again. You can't leave your heritage behind. You might have forgotten huge swathes of your life and times, but you can't forget who you really are. You can't forget your roots, Brenda. I push all the nightmares aside and throw myself into work. It's the only way. The following afternoon sees me out with Effie as she introduces me to the splendours of the Christmas Hotel. It is a once grand edifice on the West Cliff where, according to Effie, it is Christmas Eve every single day of the year. There they are, busloads of pensioners brought in each week to enjoy festive revels of the most shameless kind. There are trimmed trees and swags of glittering tinsel everywhere. We take high tea in the conservatory, with a beautiful view of the ruined abbey. And even there we are beset by Christmas carols coming through the loudspeakers. We're tended to by a mardy-faced waitress called Jessie, who brings us egg and cress sandwiches and miniature tartlets. Effie takes little bird mouthfuls, trying all the while to enlist me into traipsing the streets with her in the middle of the night. Think of it as your civic duty, she says. I've only just arrived, I tell her. I need your help, Brenda. I can't face that vicious creature alone. I wonder why she doesn't alert the proper authorities. I mean, if there's a dangerous beast on the prowl, is it usual to let two elderly ladies go out to fettle it? What about the RSPCA, I wonder aloud, or the Cats Protection League? Effie tuts and crams a sponge finger past her pursed lips. They don't deal with paranormal creatures. Believe me, I've tried before. Um, Effie, I say, you get mixed up in magical and spooky affairs like this quite a lot then, do you? She nods, almost proudly. Oh, yes, it's in my blood, you see. I feel like something of a custodian to this town. Do you now? I do, and that's because I belong to a very honourable matriarchy, you see. Witches, Brenda. All my relatives were witches. I nod. Mm, I do know. Her eyes widen. Because it takes one to know one. I'm no witch, I tell her harshly, and the fruit scone I'm buttering crumbles into bits. But I do know the type. And you've got magic running through your veins, like the name of this town through a stick of pink rock. She shrugs modestly. I'm not such a dab hand with the spells and the hexes, mind. All my aunties are long gone leaving me alone in this world with nothing to show for my heritage but a house full of old grimoires and cupboardfuls of arcane objects. Really, I say, I must have a gander sometime. Oh, you'd be welcome, Brenda. 
I can't make head and a tail of most of the spooky stuff that's been passed down to me. You say that you've got some experience of the, you know, the uncommon and unearthly. Oh yes, I tell her, but that's all behind me now. She shakes her head. Not when something's amiss, Ducky. When there's magical shenanigans going on, then it's up to us with the know-how to be up and at them. So will you join me tonight in my hunt for this killer Moggy? I realise I have no choice but to be Effie's backup. After I promise and we finish our pot of Assam, plus the last of the dainties, we head home across town. Effie has a spring in her step at the prospect of company during tonight's macabre safari. I dress in an old fisherman's gansey, a fleecy anorak, a heavy scarf and stout shoes. I draw the line at pulling a balaclava over my newly set wig, however. When I pop round Effie's antiques emporium, I'm amazed to find her glammed up to the nines in a wine-red frock and covered in theatrical jewellery. Just because we're on a mission tonight doesn't mean we can go all frumpy, she says, eyeing me up and down. A mission. I can hear my spectral pussy using just the same term. I wonder to myself why I haven't confided in Effie yet about that curious nocturnal encounter. Could it be that I don't completely trust my neighbour yet? She's rabbiting on about some form of magical defence she's whipped up for us, but I'm not really listening. We're in a sitting room at this point, and my whole attention is caught up by the monstrous painting I helped to put up on a wall. It has changed. Now, don't think me crackers. That's what I think at first, too. That perhaps something in the sea air has turned me do-lally. Or maybe the cream in my sticky buns this afternoon was on the turn. Yet I must conclude the picture is quite altered. It's even darker and more sepulchral. The man on the stallion is riding off into the far distance and can hardly be seen. I peer closer to make him out. In the foreground, the cat has completely disappeared and the creepy child is sitting down, looking even more miserable now, wearing an even dowdier frock. Her lank hair is longer and I realise the child has aged a little. I cry out, startling Effie. Whatever's the matter with you? Look! I gasp. Can't you see? I stand aghast before the painting, quite sure that she will see at once what is amiss. But Effie simply stares at me. At the picture, then at me again. It's obvious she doesn't have a clue what I'm on about. You've had a schooner or two of sherry before coming out tonight, Brenda. Dutch courage, eh? I can't believe what I'm hearing. Your blooming painting is possessed. It's different. She creeps closer to the blistered surface of the paint, thrusting her beaky old nose right in there. It's in exactly the same condition as it was when I won it earlier this week at Danby's auction houses. I swear to you. She looked so sane and convinced I just have to give in. 
It's me who's cracked, I'm thinking. I'm the one, after all, with the troublesome gaps in my recollections. Effie starts showing me little magic efforts she's made this afternoon following our discussion in the conservatory of the Christmas Hotel. You made me feel I should make more of my latent gift for enchantment, she tells me, and then brings out, with great ceremony, an old plastic tea tray. On it lie the curled-up corpses of five mice. They are desiccated, she says, because she found them underneath her boiler. She stuffed them with magic spell stuff, cobwebs and glitter, dried scabs and herbs, and she hexed them until she was blue in the face. We are to use them as bait, she says, for luring savage cats into the open. Looking at her horrid offering, I can feel my gorge rising. Effie urges me to stow them away in our handbags, but I'm beggared if they're going in mine. So, then we're off on our first supernatural investigation together. Our very first evening traipsing the chilly innals and venals together as a duo and I get a queasy feeling in my water, as if it's to be the first of many. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.